Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning as we come to the scriptures. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would speak. You would open our minds and open our hearts. You would open our eyes to see and you would, you would speak to us that we might be led to Jesus. We pray, Lord, in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Before I start the sermon, um, Andrew, I left a glass of water on the ledge, which I don't need. I just don't want it to accidentally get knocked off onto the soundboard back there. So that's my little uh, beware statement. Thanks, guys. Uh, We are in the midst of our preaching series. We continue today. We've been working our way this fall through the Old Testament, beginning in creation and hitting sort of high levels, the big story, the, the grand arc and narrative as we move toward the birth of Christ at Christmas. And we're getting closer. For those of you who've been with us for a while, we're, like we're in Advent. The countdown is coming. We've got to get about 500 years in the next few weeks. So uh, we've been taking some big jumps and some little jumps as we try to, to get uh, an idea of, of what was happening and what God was doing in his story. Today we're in the story of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den, probably pretty familiar to a lot of us. You may have learned it as a little kid in Sunday school on a flannel graph. It's one of the favorite stories. My kids learned it from Bob the tomato and Larry the cucumber. Veggie Tales, there was a Veggie Tales. In fact, my daughter and I watched it and laughed and enjoyed it just this weekend. They learned about... What are we going to do? The king likes Daniel more than me and you. And we were singing along. It's amazing how the stories and the songs you you get kind of come back. Well, as we dive or before we dive into the text, let's bring ourselves up to speed on where we are in the narrative. Last week, Jonathan uh, took you into really the disturbing scene in the fall of Jerusalem. It was heartbreaking came after hundreds of years of God sending prophets, trying to get the people to turn their hearts back to him. And yet they resisted. Of course, the prophets were continually really focused on three big issues that were in the lives of God's people. The the first was idolatry or worshiping other gods, finding images to serve, finding gods that they could control. That's really what an idol is an unwillingness to accept God on God's terms. And of course, they were unwilling to take Sabbath. You go, what? Like not taking a day off every seven days? Yeah, that was a big issue because they were fighting against the way they were created. They were unwilling to stop long enough to trust God one day a week throughout the course of their lives. And then the last thing was they were unwilling to take care of the poor. They just wouldn't take care of the aliens and the outcasts and the widows and the orphans. And so what happened? Well, these were things against God's heart that God warned them, look, if you keep turning away from my ways, you're going to put yourself outside of my protection. And of course, judgment came. And so this happened first to the northern kingdom of of Israel. Uh, The Assyrians came and, and over a series of a number of years, they were attacking and ransacking and taking some off into captivity. Eventually, the the 10 northern tribes really were were pretty much wiped out. And then ultimately, the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, was taken away. That that was last week. That's what we had. That happened in 605 B.C. That's when it first began. It culminated in 586 B.C. 
with the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. And of course, remember, the temple was the place on earth where God's presence dwelt. And so to have the temple destroyed was, I mean, this was earth shattering and this was remarkable and heartbreaking. And during that period, many people, especially young people, were carried off into captivity, and that included Daniel. He was probably around 10, maybe 15 years old when he was taken away into captivity in Babylon. Now, where we get to our text today in Daniel 6, Daniel's actually an old man at this point. He's been in Babylon upwards of 70 years, so he's in his 80s at this point in which our texts come. And all throughout his adult life, he's been raised up and he has made his way through the administration of various kings. And he's shown himself incredibly skilled and faithful. And so today in in Daniel 6, he's serving a new king named Darius. It's a new kingdom that's come in. The Babylonians have been taken over and it happened very quickly. It's amazing how fast kingdoms can rise and fall. We think they last forever and they're super stable, but they can collapse and crumble very quickly. And now we have the Medo-Persian Empire and Darius or Darius, as most of us know him, is now the emperor. Now, before we jump into the text, why does it matter that we look at Daniel? Like, what's the big deal? Well, it matters because Daniel shows us how to live a life in a hostile, spiritually hostile, physically hostile environment. And so what is it like to be a person of God living under hostility in the world? That's what Daniel points us to in particular. And as we look at chapter six, I want to kind of focus it down or narrow it down to this. What Daniel shows us is that we should focus on the Lord not on the lions. In fact, why don't you say, focus on the Lord, not on the lions. So the Lord, not the lions. Focus on the Lord. Don't put your focus on the lions. All right, so if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, or you can pull out your bulletin, it might even be on the screens, I don't know, but we're going to go to verse 1, and we'll work our way through some of this, not all of this text, but we'll look at a good piece of it. Verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. All right, let's let's unpack what's going on here. So Darius is the new ruler and he's set up basically like 120 provinces. We might think of them like states. And over each of these regions are satraps. We would call them maybe a governor. That would be the closest thing that we would understand. And over these 120 folks, there are three who basically are overseeing regions. And of the three, Daniel is raised up to be like second in command. This should bring echoes to you of Joseph. If you remember way back in our Joseph story, Joseph was second to the Pharaoh. So we see this pattern being repeated as God raises somebody up and puts them in a place of influence in the government for God's purpose. Now, there's 
Well, Daniel's this faithful guy, and he's very successful in what he does. And what happens? There begins to be jealousy. There begins to be envy. He's in a position where he's supposed to protect the king's interests. From what? From greed, from graft. But there's jealousy and there's political intrigue. There's maneuvering and power struggles. Does that sound like today to anybody? Like nothing is new under the sun. We think because these things happened many years ago that they were different than us. They're just the same. The human heart is just the same. They're filled with pride and envy and jealousy and they're trying to get ahead and they'll take anybody out along the way in order to be number one. And so in the face of all this corruption, we've got Daniel. He is a man of integrity. He serves God faithfully with his life. Do you know the expression WYSIWYG? It's an acronym. What you see is what you get. And and it's an acronym that's often used to describe integrity so that what's on the inside is also on the outside. There There is a continuity of action and words. Well, that's Daniel. He's a man of complete integrity. He's a man who's super faithful. Everything that he does... Right? He's all about doing good and being the Lord's person, even in a hostile environment. And of course, that's what God's people are called to be. We're called to be like light, like salt on the earth, showing the light of God, being like a preservative in the society around us. That's corrupted and that's falling apart. And so here's Daniel, this man whose focus is on the Lord. And because his focus is on the Lord, it affected the way he lived. The Apostle Paul would say many years later, he would say this. This is 1 Corinthians 10. So whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's the call of the person of God. That's the call of discipleship. And that's the call that Daniel was living. He was doing life for the glory of God. Now, the trouble with this call is that many of us who name the name of Jesus don't actually live into the call. And so we honor Jesus on Sunday, and then we get to Monday through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we live our lives just like the world around us. We're all in for Jesus, but then we're all in for ourselves. We want to raise God's name, but then often we raise our own names as we march through our week, showing ourselves loyal to God on the weekend, but then loyal to ourselves or to the world or to our businesses, to anything but the things of God throughout the week. We're all in for Jesus, unless it's inconvenient for our schedules. I'm for church, unless sporting events get in the way. And and so there's always this pressure and this challenge that the world puts upon us to not line up who we are and what we say and how we act. I can remember when my kids were young, I used to say all the time, seek to do the right thing, even if it costs you. And it often will cost you if you do the right thing. And that's what we see in Daniel. We'll go back to the text in verse 5. Then these wise men or these men said, we shall not find, this is verse five, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. 
Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, the counselors, the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. The only thing in Daniel's life that could override his allegiance to the king was his allegiance to God. And the only thing that could override Daniel's faithfulness to his king was his faithfulness to praying to his God. And that's what his enemies see in him. And that's the trap they set for him. They set him up so that he will be taken out by his own faithfulness. And what do they do? I mean, they just, they appeal to the king's pride. Hey, wouldn't it be great if you're God for the next 30 days? I mean, who wouldn't kind of want that, right? All right, well, you might or might not, but like that's the temptation that's given to this king. And of course, this king is already the most powerful person, but why not be even more powerful? Why not be the one to whom people bow down and worship? And so this trap is set. Now in their culture, if a king signed a law, then he couldn't repeal the law. And so this thing is set in motion and it's intended to get Daniel tripped up. He is the target. Now Darius didn't want Daniel tripped up. In fact, he had no idea that Daniel was the target. And and this is the warning in the ways in which our pride can so blind us from seeing what's happening around us. Our self-focus or self-perception keeps us from seeing what's going on in God and in the people who we're with. And so the satraps know Daniel's going to break the law. They know Daniel's going to keep on praying. It's his integrity. It's his predictable faithfulness to God. And it's because Daniel's focus is on the Lord. It's not on the lions. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, in other words, he knew the stakes. He knew what was going down here. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And of course, what they do? They went to the king, they reported him, and the king had to inflict the punishment. Verse 16 says, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Now, let me ask this question. We don't, we don't want to miss this as we are going through the text. What do you think is so important that Daniel would risk being fed to the lions and continue his practice of praying three times a day in his house with the windows open facing Jerusalem? I mean, you know, think about it. I mean, couldn't you just kind of do it quietly for 30 days and get to the spirit of the law? Get you know, why, why be so serious about this, Daniel? Why are you so rigid about this, Daniel? Why can't you just take a break? And the answer, of course, is that his focus 
is on the Lord, not on the lions. And when your focus is on the Lord, your focus also goes to the people around you. And that's what's happening. And, and this often escapes people when they, when they hear this. But there's a clue that you get in Daniel chapter 9. Now, we didn't have that as our reading. But if you were reading the book of Daniel and you were paying attention, you would see that the first six chapters are about his life. And then the rest is prophetic uh, things that he saw and that God showed him about the future. But in Daniel chapter 9, this is what it says. And this happened right at the same time or just after Daniel 6, right, at, right in that same window. Sorry, right after Darius was king. Daniel 9 says this. It was the first year of the reign of Darius. Okay, so Darius is king. Daniel 6 is here. So Daniel 9 somewhere right in there, kind of just before Daniel 6. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. Daniel's been reading what the prophet Jeremiah had spoken. Remember, Jeremiah was the one who kept saying, if you repent, the Lord will turn away the judgment. And, and the people didn't believe him. And so what happened? The judgment came. Well, the prophet Jeremiah also said, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. And here's Daniel reading this letter, reading the words of Jeremiah that had been written down. And he's realizing as he does the math from when he left as a young man to the age he is now, wait a minute, that time is coming very soon. And he's seen the Babylonian government fall. And suddenly there's a new government in place. And the wheels are, are spinning in his head. He's so, going, wait a minute, what God said through the prophet, I'm seeing that unfold even now before me. And so as the Babylonian empire crumbles, as these 70 years that Jeremiah said are almost up, Daniel starts praying like crazy. He's praying for what? He's praying for forgiveness. He's praying for God's mercy. He's praying for the restoration of Jerusalem. And why? Well, because, well, this is what he says. Listen, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Oh Lord, you're a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant. That should be a theme you've heard throughout this series. You keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But we have sinned and done wrong. Now, remember, Daniel was a kid when all this happened. He probably hadn't been involved in idolatry. He probably hadn't been involved in Sabbath breaking. He had no power as a child to take care of the poor. What's going on? Daniel is identifying with his people and he's stepping into the role of a prayer intercessor and he's seeking God. He's faithful to God. He knows the Lord. His focus is on the Lord. Therefore, his focus is also on his people, on the people around him. We have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. He's recounting what happened. God sent prophets because he didn't want judgment to come. The judgment came because they didn't listen to the prophets. Now Daniel is going, oh no, God have mercy on us. We're faithless. 
We're hard-hearted. We go our way, not your way. And he goes on, Lord, you're in the right. But as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us. He's including himself within the people of Israel. We don't get this as Americans because we think of me and Jesus and my Bible. No, no, no. There's a corporate people of God. That's why coming to church matters because the corporate body of Christ comes together and the spirit of God taking the word of God and the sacraments of God does something among us. There's a corporateness. You'll notice it when we do our prayers of confession in a few minutes. We don't say I, we say we because as a group we're coming before the Lord and he understood this. He's interceding for others and he's including himself in there. He says, now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You have kept your word because God is always faithful. He always does what he says. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Oh, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead, Lord. Smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Why is he in his room with the window open, praying toward Jerusalem? Because he's praying for restoration that God would come again among his people. And when your focus is on God, your focus comes to the people around you. That's what's happening. He's crying out. He's crying out for others, even if it costs him his life. And of course, that's what looked like would happen. He gets thrown into the lion's den. And, and, you know, we we know the end of the story. He, He doesn't get eaten by the lions. The lions end up fasting with him, I guess. And then, of course... The king recognizes, oh, the faith of Daniel, the faith of Daniel's God. And guess what? What Daniel does begins to sow the seeds among the people that's going to help them get back and restored in Jerusalem. And we'll see some of that next week. And so you see all this movement, and a lot of it is affected by what Daniel's doing as a person of prayer, interceding for the sake of God's people. All right, now let's just, let's just take the text And let's begin to apply it to our lives for a moment. It is possible to live as a person of integrity in a hostile world. And it's not only possible, that's our call. When you signed up, it wasn't just so you get out of jail free or, you know, fire insurance. You're called to something, to live faithfully as the people of God in a hostile world. And make no mistake, the world is hostile to Christ. And when you live a life in the light with the Lord, there are going to be times when that puts you at odds with the people around you, the systems around you. And you could suffer for that. In fact, there are people who still lose their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That that could happen. And, And so our call is to be like Daniel. Jesus said, you're the salt, you're the light. We have such a great advantage over Daniel because we live at a time in which the Spirit of God, back then he resided in one place, Jerusalem, the temple. But now we are the temple of the Lord. Your body is the temple of the Lord. 
And when you place your faith in Jesus, the Spirit comes to live in you. To do what? To help you live out what God has asked you to do. Like we have the advantage, we don't have to do it in our own strength. And that is incredibly good news. So think about your life for a minute. Think about your business. Think about your school and your class. Is your life such that other people are seeing Jesus? It has been said that your life may be the only Bible some people will ever read. Are they encountering Christ in your life? Now, if the answer is no, the good news is you repent and return to the Lord and show him what's driving you so that you're afraid to live as his people. Now, when I say live as his people, I don't mean be weird and angry and uptight. That's, that's just Phariseeism. What I mean is to be that savory fragrance of who Jesus is, to be like him in kindness and generosity and goodness and patience and self-control, all the things that Paul describes as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. If, if that's not happening in your life, then ask him to do a work in you so that you might be his young person, his adult, his man, his woman, in your place of influence in the world. Let me ask this. So there's that personal thing. Let me ask this. Is there anything in your life that you're praying for with the fervency of Daniel? Like, I mean, this guy was willing to die to pray for other people. Is there anything going on in your life or in the lives of the people around you that God might have you enter into as an intercessor to cry out on their behalf at the sake of your convenience, maybe at the sake of a few meals here and there, maybe at the sake of your sleep, because your marriage is just a wreck, and you know unless God shows up, you're sunk. Or, or maybe you've got a child who's walked away from the Lord. Or maybe you've got a friend who, who's like captive to an addiction. Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Are you willing to intercede like Daniel, praying for them desperately according to the word of God for freedom, for life, for salvation, for all the things that he calls us to, to bring to others in this world? And if not, ask him for that burden. And, and ask, what is it that would keep me from that, Lord? There's no greater thing than pouring yourself out for other people. Now, as I said at the beginning, you might want to just settle in your mind, and that's where the gospel kind of took us, that, that your choice is to be faithful, come what may. Like That's why Jesus told us about the things that would come in the end, and we're in that season of time. We don't know when that will happen. But it says there will be wars and pandemics and things like that before that great day of the Lord. And we're seeing wars and pandemics. And like this season from Jesus' ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit until he comes again. That's why we do Advent because we're remembering, hey, he's coming back. Settle in your hearts that no matter what, and, and maybe it won't happen in your life, but if it does, so that because of your faithfulness to Jesus you're willing to suffer? Like, you don't want to plan that in the moment. I think you want to settle that like now while things are pretty easy. I don't know if that'll ever happen. Better to know today and to prepare your life day in and day out 
by growing to know him, growing in his word, growing in prayer, growing in the things of God, then to hope it'll happen should that day ever come. Last thing, and this is really more about where's the gospel in all of this? Well, Daniel is one of the clearest pictures and types of Jesus. We've seen it in so many of these Old Testament stories, right? And these characters. But I mean, think about Daniel, right? Right? He is innocent, and yet he's accused because of envy and jealousy, falsely accused, and taken before the ruler, and then thrown into this cave. And the stone is rolled over the cave, and a seal is put on the stone, right? And and it's sealed so he can't get out. In the same way, Jesus was falsely accused. He did nothing wrong. He so identified with people that he was willing to suffer on their behalf. He was accused before Pilate. Now, he was thrown into a tomb, but not alive. He suffered and he died. That's a big difference between Daniel. He was crucified because he was willing to suffer for others. But then he was placed in the tomb, and then the stone was rolled over, and then the seal was put on it. And what happened? An angel came and protected Daniel. Two angels came and announced, he is not here, he is alive. And just like in the story of Daniel, the king now has the word going out that the true God is alive, and it's Daniel's God. So now, the witnesses, the apostles, The saints, the church, are called to go out to say he is alive. He is alive. He is alive. Jesus is Daniel's God. Though Daniel didn't know him by name yet. Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the depth and the riches of your word. I wish we could go even deeper, Lord, but at time, an elusive thing. Would you stir in our hearts, Lord, such a hunger to know you? Would you cause us, Lord, to be your faithful people in this world? Holy Spirit, would you do a work in us that we might be people of integrity and faithfulness, that our focus would be on the Lord, not on the lions of this life, and that in so doing, the world would know and you would be glorified. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.